Welcome to the Human Interest Podcast with Evelyn Wamboi, a weekly podcast where we get to hear stories about people, why they do what they do, and about life, successes, losses, challenges, and lessons. Beatrice Okere has a wide, beautiful smile. It's one of the first things that greet you when you meet her. There's a natural gap between her two front teeth, which she wears proudly. It draws you through the toothed gap and into her soul. Okere's eyes, on the other hand, are narrowed. When you surpass her smile and look straight into them through her glasses, you will see a toughness. A no-nonsense look that could take you back a step. You could therefore say there's a balance, an intensity of either her wide smile or her narrowed eyes, depending on which side you approach her from. Maybe this is where I should tell you that Okere and I went to the same high school. Okere was neat and tall and loud. Not the rowdy kind of loud though, but authoritative. She was a school head girl. What else did I expect? You would therefore understand when I tell you that Okere would move from zero to a hundred real quick. Years later, we meet for coffee and I chuckle. (laughs) Nothing much has changed. Well, apart from the fact that she's sporting dreadlocks, I'm impressed. While I stand next to her a few pounds heavier, she still is her tall, lean self. She has this fitting white dress, a gold-flowered tailored coat, marching shoes, and a green-flowered scarf. She's a nutritionist, and immediately we begin talking about how she needs to get me into a diet plan. Okere had called me the week before this meeting to tell me just how much she's getting hooked on the podcast. A lot of people have been calling and texting and reaching out to me on my socials to say they're enjoying the show. So please let me throw in a quick thank you. Thank you all so much. I truly appreciate it. So Okere says the last episode especially, episode 7, That Day a Priest Drove Me Home, has really made her think about a business venture. We talk about how people's stories are helping others build their own. And she says she has gone through a few ups and downs herself that could help someone out there. So here's a Kerry story. A story about falling down, picking yourself up, dusting yourself off and forging forward. From getting a divorce in her early 30s to losing her job. She shares her lesson and reveals to us the light at the end of her tunnel. Okay. Okay. You want me to start? Yes. <laughs> Here's Peter Zokera's story on the Human Interest Podcast. So, um, I met this guy just um, in one of my political meetings. I love politics, by the way. That's the other side you never knew, maybe. And um, he was the TDH, tall, dark, and handsome. And I 
I fell in love. It didn't take very long. It must have taken like a year. And uh, we were together. So the other thing is, I come from a very strict Catholic background. And yeah, you're the firstborn. How are you going to leave home without uh, a proper marriage? You have to go to church. Like, that's what God wants. And that's what we want as your parents. That was um, 2009. Like, towards the end. And I moved in with him against my parents' will. And um, in 2010, there was no way we were going to do a wedding. One, he came from Anglican, I was Catholic, and there's no way my parents were going to accept that I do any other church. The only reason that they would let me out of their house, my parents now, is if I got myself pregnant. So I did exactly that. Silly. I was in love. <laughs> yeah, so 2010, I got my baby. And things were not so bad. Things were good. We were both hustling, but it was okay. He got a job and he was trying to support the family. But I noticed he was drinking so much. When you're just dating, he would drink, yes, but when he would say, no, you know what, this is enough, he would stop it. But after I got into the house, that didn't seem like it. And I think the baby came with too much responsibility for me. It was too tough. And yeah, we went on, went on. I didn't have a job. Uh, he worked for some time, tried providing, but you'd have to remind him. Then 2013, a job came calling, uh, you know, and I came from zero to $3,000 in, in a month. And that was a good thing. I was happy. But again, in 2013, just as I got the job, we were already planning for a wedding. So in December of that year, 2013, we got married. Very good, nice, flashy wedding. Beautiful in Karen, what I would wanted anyway. So after that wedding... Things just turned bad. Like even the honeymoon wasn't like a honeymoon. We were fighting and we were out for a honeymoon. So I thought maybe, you know what, I'm being too fuzzy. But the next year, 2014, was unbearable. It was just too much. We started fighting physically, you know, like almost every day. He would drink, he would disappear. From a Thursday, he would come back on a Tuesday. You know, no explanation whatsoever. The first time he hit me, strangely enough, we had just uh, done uh, the negotiations and all that. And I was at our, my place, my mom's place. And, well, his slap didn't hit me, but he should have rang that bell. Because I asked myself, he's coming to ask me to go to his house, and I want to stay at my mother's place because I was making my hair overnight. And he tries to hit me and I escape it, but he leaves. Why didn't I think he was going to do it again? The second time he hits me is... Uh, while we are organizing for the wedding, and uh, because his sister-in-law, the wife to the brother, wants to go to hospital and he doesn't have money and he wants me to pay for it, I'm like, no. No, 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 no. I'm not government and I'm not your relative, so I'm not going to pay for that. And, and, and I let it go. And the third time is actually four days to the wedding. Why? Because he took the car. I had a car. He didn't. He took the car, went and banged it, and I needed it to go and make my nails, and he was nowhere to be seen. And when he came back and I asked, we really fought. I wanted to cancel the wedding back then, but the brother was there and said, you know what, these things happen, it's just the devil. You know, we really call the devil's name even where he hasn't appeared. Yeah, it's the devil, and you know, this, the devil doesn't want this marriage to be, so let's just forget it. But I should have, I should have seen it back then. So when it continuously happened, I know the kind of anger I used to hold back then, and I knew I was more dangerous to him than he was to me. Because every time he would hit me, I would retaliate. With whatever was around, I would hit him with anything that was around. 
of course it would make him stop. Twenty fifteen around me. I remember the, the rains in Kenya were so bad. Those were the days cars were being uh, washed away. And this one night I am driving from work and the parents call me and tell me, you know, your husband wants to commit suicide, he's in the house, what have you done? He said he's going to switch off his phone. I said, people who want to commit suicide don't say. That one is an attention seeker and I am not party to it. You should be asking me if I've been washed away by the floods. And they thought I was rude. So anyway, I get to the house and uh, he doesn't talk to me. The next day he tells me he's going to commit suicide. So I got sarcastic about it. told him, you know what? While you're at it, make sure you don't lock the door so that when you're done doing what you want to do, make sure the door is opened and I can access it and dress and go to work. I had to call a colleague to, to tell her that she needs to cover up for me because I couldn't go to work. And one thing I can say is that time I was actually dealing with depression because for a whole year, one, I lived with a knife in my bedroom. A knife. And every time I would wake up in the night, look at it and say, could I just stab this guy and let him go? He's not worth my life. But then that would mean my child would be, would not have any parents. And for that same year, because of the so much stress that I had, I had to sign up for a postgraduate diploma course. And I think I work better under stress because I passed so well. But I would make sure that I get home at around 8 so that I can shower, prepare the baby, sleep. And by 11 or 12 midnight when he comes back home, when he gets into bed, I wake up and study until 4 because we'd be drunk. So if he notices around 4 that I'm not in that bed and he wakes up, I would have finished my assignments and all the discussion groups online. And uh, I would have used my time very well. So I never used to sleep. I'd sleep in the car park. I would go to work as early as 5, sleep in the car park until 8 and get to the office. And I had this kind of job that I had to travel a lot. So whenever I traveled, that was the resting time. That was the, that was the peaceful time. So anyway, that May when he threatened that he wanted to commit suicide, 11th of May on a Tuesday, I said, you know what, it's okay. Just do it. I called his parents, told, told them about it. They didn't seem shocked. They were like, no, just make sure he doesn't do it. But when I called my colleague, they asked me if I've called anyone. I said his parents said, no, but they can turn against you if he makes his threat real. So tell somebody else from your side. I called my father, and he says, and you can't be sitting in that house. You should be at the police and make sure somebody comes and takes the child away so that the child is safe, because that is not a safe environment anyway. Called my friend, picked the child, and from that day on, the child was to be dropped at her house, and I went to the police. He refused to open the door, so the police had to break in. Yeah. We took him to, to the health center to try and ascertain if he had taken the, the concussion from the medication. When, when you opened the door, how did you find him? What was he doing? He was, he was seated. <laughs> he was seated on the bed with a glass of, of mixed medicines. But anyway, there, there were things that couldn't kill him. I knew that. <laughs> I have a medical background, so I knew that wasn't going to kill him. And uh, he was seated. And when the police asked him, what is the problem, you know? Uh, said, uh, nothing. What have you done? Have you drunk that medication, that concussion you have? Said, no, I haven't. But um, I want to kill myself. Why would you want to kill yourself? There's, there's, there's so much trouble in the world already. Do you think yours is bigger than whatever else? But we had to take him to a health center, ascertain that he didn't take it. But a sad thing about the Kenyan justice system, I think we don't think domestic violence is, uh, is something that we need to take very seriously. We, I think, wait for when somebody says, 
somebody was killed or you're maimed, you, you got your hand chopped off. That's when it's serious. But whether it's physical or emotional, abuse is abuse. We just need to tell people, if you need to get out, get out. If we can't find a solution to it, then it, it's not worth dying for. Because the police woman, actually, that I found at the station told me, you know, these are family things. You should just sort it out. There are no better men outside there. But I refuse to believe that. What do you mean there are no better men outside there? There are people who I know live very good lives. They may not have much, but they're very peaceful and happy. So I didn't buy that. When the, the parents tried to, you know, talk to him, and this is the mother because the father doesn't live around, all they could tell me is, you know what, you're a woman. You know men sometimes have, have issues. You have to listen. And I said, yeah, listen, but with reason. I just, just don't listen uh, blindly. No, you see, men, they'll just come around. Maybe it's the age. Now, I wonder, this guy's five years, five years older than me. What age? What age are we talking about here? And they couldn't even wait for my parents to come so that they sought this as a family. And eventually, when I decided to move out and start my life on my own, they even had the audacity to call my parents and abuse them. Yeah? Like, you know what? Your daughter wants too much. She's, she's expecting too much from our son, which our son cannot offer. It's about standards. If we are growing together, we can't grow apart. We have to make that effort to grow together. Okay? We can't say, I'll pull towards the east, you pull towards the west. We can never meet. It tears us apart. Fast forward, 2016, and I'm living on my own. And what happens one morning? A friend and a colleague has actually gone under and has been piling falsehood about me to the boss and gets this one activity that uh, she says I did not attend, but I attended, albeit late, but I still attended it. And they decided I didn't attend it. I had photo evidence, and when they got the photo evidence, so they had to look for extra evidence. And they said, no, that's not the first time. But this friend who was framing this up is a friend who knew what I was going through. Knew I was going through depression and all that. And instead of supporting me, decided to stab me in the back. And I'm sent for a gardening leave. Like, oh, you did this on this day, you did this on this day. And, and some of these things are things that actually my colleague would do and I would cover for her. But I said, this is not the time to bring it up because it might seem like I'm fighting her. And yep, $3,000 in a month to zero. And that's when you know you don't have friends. That's when your phone stops ringing. I don't know how they know it. But somehow, <laughs> there's some waves that travel through friends and frenemies. And nobody calls you anymore. The parties that people want to always come and do in your house because your house is cool, they no longer come for them. Nobody calls to ask how you're doing. So I have just walked out of a marriage. My job has just vanished overnight. And I am a single mother and I have to provide. My son is already used to a certain standard of life. How do I explain to him that, you know what, we have to change schools? How do I explain to him that uh, mommy has to stay here? Mommy can't go out every single day in the morning. But one good thing that happened is that uh, my dad was on my side. I was never a very good friend to my dad <laughs> growing up. But I think in adulthood, we've clicked. And one of his words when we were leaving when he came to pick me from my then matrimonial house, he said, it is okay for me to go with you now 
while you can walk and drive your car away. It would have been more sad if I had to carry you in a coffin because that would be the last time I'd see you. And you know what? I only have two boys. So the third one that you're adding is my third born. It is okay. Coming from a man we never really had a relationship with, that was such a strong thing for me. And I knew my mom would be affected. I'm the firstborn, first girl. I'm this Christian child. I did everything straight. And so what is this? What's, what, are, what is going to happen to, other, to the other children who are my other siblings who are younger than me? And yeah, my phone was silent. And one day I just woke up. And I deleted every number on my phone without remorse. And whenever you'd call me and ask why I don't have your number, if I lost it, I'd tell you the truth that I deleted it. And if you ask me why, I'll tell you because I didn't think it was useful. And I lost so many friends. Thank goodness because now I have less burden. Okay? I have less burden. It is very hard being a single mother. A friend that I... I had known for more than 10 years, was amongst the people who said, you know what? I saw my husband carry water to her house. I don't trust her. I don't want to talk to her. She's a single mother. She can snatch away my husband. That was so painful. I cried myself silly for one week. I couldn't believe. For a very long time, I didn't talk to her. Until a friend who was so dear to me and so close to me when I was going through all these problems told me, you know what? Let her be. Forgive her. And one day she'll come and ask for forgiveness. You know, when all this thing was happening, I, I have this characteristic. It, it is me. I can't be weak. I can never be weak. I have to be strong. I've been raised to be strong. So all I would do is, when things were so thick, I would wear such heavy makeup so that when I meet someone, they see the makeup. And they comment on how well it has been done and how it looks so expensive and how it looks so nice. Behind the makeup was so much pain. Was a woman who would get into the car, lock herself, and cry silly. Of course, my friend knew and my ex-colleague, he knew. So he'd come to the car, knock at my window, and ask me if I wanted to cry. He would sit there, watch me cry. When I finish, he gives me my makeup and says, you know what, here's your makeup. You have not put it well, just fix it properly so that people didn't know about it. But yeah, you only have friends when you have something to offer. 90% of those people you call friends, you really have to evaluate them. When you need them, they'll not be there. But your family will always stick with you. Why were you crying? For my marriage, I would cry because I can't, I used to believe I can't fail. For me, that was failure. I knew it was so bad. I didn't want to stay there and create this picture for people. But also, you mean, I asked myself, you mean I've come to the end of everything? There's nothing more I can do to make this better. And being a firstborn, you're raised to always do the right things. How was I going to walk out of a marriage? I'm a Catholic. Do Catholics divorce? Is there that provision? What is my position in the church after that? Will I still be able to receive the Holy Communion? And it sounds petty, but for me, those are some of the things that, that, that were close to my heart. Yeah? If, if I am a singer and I'm going back to sing in church, will people look at me differently and no longer have my rings? 
what happened? Do I have to give explanations? And 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 for the job, I felt so sad because this was someone's making. Do you think there are things you'd have done different to save the marriage? Maybe talk to someone. I'm not an angel, but it wasn't my fault. <laughs> I am human. Why should I do anything to spark your anger? And if I spark your anger, you should be a rational human being to know what to do. Walk out or, you know, tell me at a different forum that this is not right and this is how we go about it. I think I was just too forceful for him. Maybe that's that's my fault. I am a perfectionist. I want things done in a certain way. Especially if I see the potential in you to do it. He's a very bright man, by the way. And very hard working. The problem is when he works hard, he gets the money, he drinks it. It's not bad to, to have a glass or two of alcohol, but you cannot do that over and above your responsibility. Okay? Then he would listen to so many other people. In this marriage, it was me and him. We would discuss something in the house. Two or three weeks later, when I'm at his parents' house, they would actually ask me, why did you decide to move to a big house? Why are you doing this? Why have you signed up your child for this school? Meaning, my discussion was with him was not purely for the two of us. There were other parties involved, and I think he, he respected that more than he respected our marriage. And, and thirdly, as I said, I'm, I'm a bit forceful. I have a career path. I have a development path. I don't want to shower at this river and stand on the shore and get dried there. And to move a bit, probably get um, get a towel. If my parents never had a towel, I want to get a towel. So I, I want to see some some growth in my life. And if you're not if you're not um, if you're not tagging along, then good riddance. Yeah. So he's he's scared because he wants to go to school, but you can't go to school and drink at the same time. But here is a wife who will not stop at anything to try and further the education, to try and make life better for the child. So if I went to a mud house school, I don't want my child to go through the same. Okay? And I can see the potential in him to do that. Maybe the biggest fault, or what I could call a mistake, is the fact that I decided to feed the devil in him. If he'll refuse to pay rent, I will pay it. If he refuses to, to pay school fees, I will do it. If he doesn't bring money for food, I will do it. I thought it was covering him and, you know, giving him a good, a good name. But he decided, you know what, if you can do it, it's okay. I will not do it. So maybe that was my fault. For my marriage, it really took a toll, a toll on me, like... Um, it's only until 2017 that I started thinking because I'd filed for divorce immediately and that wasn't an easy thing financially and all that. And in 2016 when I lost a job, so I just told myself, you know what, it's going to be tough. But I still managed. And I knew that is, uh, that was going to be a very long process. Going to court, you know, standing there and having to listen to the same story over and over again. It reminds you of all the bad things and you ask yourself, what really is love? What, where did it go? Was there love in the first place anyway? So that would be so traumatizing. But for the job, actually, when I left, three days later, I stayed, I stayed in the house for three days. So day one, I took my child to school and brought him back. And he was very happy. 
that gave me joy because it told me, you know what, I wish this could be happening more. You able to find time to take me to school and bring me back. Mommy, I always miss you so much because my previous job was very international and, you know, regional. So there was a lot of traveling around and no time for the child and maybe the family. And then um, day two, I went to a chapel in my church. And I stayed in the chapel for more than an hour. And then on the third day, I woke up, uh, dressed up, and showed up. And I talked to a colleague, friend of mine, a doctor. She allowed me to use her place. I only had 3,000 Kenya shillings. That is about uh, $30, $30. So from 3,000 to $30. And I bought two blood glucose testing machines, the glucometers, at a fr from a friend. And uh, I sold that. And that day, the doctor gave me five patients to see. And the rest is history. Now I'm able to do my presentations in platforms where I couldn't do them. I am able to impact the life of my clients positively without, you know, someone hook eyeing behind me to see how I'm doing it. And I get so much fulfillment. When that patient comes back like three or four months later and they tell me, you know what, I am feeling much better. I am doing much better. My control is so well I can't believe I didn't know about you all this time and much of my referrals are actually from other patients word of mouth maybe for the sake of those who don't know what do you, what you do what do you do I'm a nutritionist but specialized in diabetes so I do a lot of management for patients with diabetes and other chronic illnesses mm. so that's what I do and uh, it's been an eye-opener so now I run my own business private business and for, this, for, for the work that I have done, I've actually been able to manage other consultancies in the major private hospitals. So it is not so bad at the end of it all. And finally, I've fallen back in love. And <laughs> it was never so bad. And uh, so far, so good. Uh, one and a half years on, I think we are on a great path. What, what lessons are you going into this new relationship with? So I don't go into this relationship expecting my happiness to come from my partner. We all have what excites us and it is okay for us to be different. And I think I've toned down a bit in terms of this is how things have to be done, my way or the highway. <laughs> I have toned down on that. I think life has taught me so much. So it is not like I'll accept mediocrity, but I will give room for the other person to also express themselves. It might not be to the standard that I like, but we will have a discussion about it and look onto ways of improving and making it better. But will not be so hard and tough on people. And the biggest lesson, your phone is your phone. I will not touch it. If you show me one picture on your phone, I will not flip onto the next and the next to see what it is. Did you check with your ex-husband's phone? Oh yes, trust me. <laughs> And I always got what I was looking for. When he would be away from home, of course drinking, and probably try and switch off his phone. When he would come back, I, I, I'd always check to see who was texting him, who was trying to call him and all that. I would get those numbers, put them on my true caller, and just try and find out who those people were. Probably even call them. And 90% of the times, by then my instincts were very right, the intuition the sixth sense in women it's very strong and I had to deal with unfaithfulness I had to deal with 
lying, he would lie to me because that is what would probably feed his ego. I, I'm not going to do that again. If you want me to trust you, then let's, let's build that trust. A lot of people who've gone maybe through what you've gone through, you know, divorced in your 30s would think, you know, that's it. I'm not getting married again. I'm not going to do this in the long term. Are you there or are you optimistic? It's traumatizing, trust me, walking down the aisle. One thing I know I'm still scared about is uh, trying to wear that white dress again or is it cream now because I've been married before or pink <laughs> and... Uh, Saying the I do's again is a bit too difficult for me right now, at the moment. Like, it's not something... Marriage is not for the world. It's not the display that we, we do outside there. I'd rather very quiet and subtle, even if it's uh, the attorney general, but with a meaning to the two of us and to maybe the small family that surrounds us. For me, that's what is more important. But, yeah, now I am giving love a chance again. It is... Uh, I shouldn't crucify anyone for the mistakes that were done by another species of their kind. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about your son and how it was for him uh, going through that with your ex-husband and now that you're in this new relationship, how is it for him? How was it then? How is it now? Uh, when he was much younger, of course, he would always ask to see his dad. I tried, but we'd, we'd always end up fighting with the guy. He'd either abuse me, and that's not... I'm raising a son. I don't want him to know that it is okay for a man to abuse a woman, and it's business as usual. So no, I don't want to create another him in my son. And um, of course, then I would take the baby, and uh, I'd have to foot the bills, because again, he would show up without money, apparently, to pay, but he'd have money to drink. So I'd had... I'd have to sort out the bill, of course, under the table. So, again, my son doesn't see that uh, uh, it's women who pay bills when they eat out with men, okay? And thirdly, my son would ask for things like, oh, dad, I want shoes. Oh, dad, I want a clock. Oh, dad, I want this. And he would give empty promises. I don't want to raise my child like that. So he would say, I'll get you this. I call him one week later and ask, what happened? He says, I don't have the money. I would go buy the stuff. Wrap it and write from dad. So my son knows the things come from his father. Why? Because if you want your child to be uh, a truthful person, you have to show him that, you know, people have to say the truth and they have to keep their promises. So it was a bit difficult and um, we had to live through it. One thing that I haven't done with my son is sit down and tell him, dad is not okay, dad is bad. I won't do that. Whether I go to heaven, I go to hell, I walk around the earth and come back to the same position, that remains his father. And he has got nothing to do with what happened between the mother and the father. He is such an independent person, and he should be allowed to love both or hate both. So I, I don't do that. I don't play with his mind. When he asks me questions, I'm very truthful about it. But I think he's also learned not to hurt mommy, quote-unquote. So... He will only ask to the extent that he thinks it's comfortable. But in the beginning, we had to do a lot of counseling. I had my sessions, he had his sessions. And occasionally, when I think he is not opening up as much, we'll go to a play therapist to just, you know, let him stay with the play therapist and I get to hear from them. Is the child okay? Do they look stressed? Are they fine or are they just being babies who are inquisitive? For the new guy, 
he's a friend to my son. They like each other and by the I think that was the that was the yardstick. You date my child first <laughs> before you can get to me. If he doesn't like you, by the way, even where we are right now, if he feels you're not okay, we are going to drop you like it's hot. <laughs> it's a mommy son affair. Yeah. Yeah. But they they've bonded so well. He still calls him by his name, which is okay and the guy is okay with it because he says fatherhood especially if you're not a bio parent is and it is not demanded. And yeah, we we are happy. So far so good. What defines you is not what you've gone through. That should never define you. That you had a marriage never worked out, that you had children who probably didn't turn out the way you wanted, or that you had a job which you really wanted and it never. By the way, one thing people should know is that your company is not your parent. They can replace you immediately. So don't don't work so hard for the company to the extent that your family is neglected. Because if you are to drop dead before they take you to the morgue, someone will be there doing your job, and doing it probably better than you. So it is not what happened in the past that should define you. Are you able to pick yourself up and move forward? It might not be as good and as rosy as it was, but there's always a lesson to be learned, and that will help somebody else. Somebody will probably be watching silently and seeing what you're going through, and they will. They will pick from there, and they will do much better. And just know who you call a friend. Define that very clearly. I have a joke. If I can count more than five friends around me, then there is a problem. Because I'm not a politician, probably, so I don't have a follow-up. I am not a pastor, so that I have, uh, you know, a congregation around me. So why do I have 10, 15, 20 friends? I could have acquaintances or people I know along the way. Definitely if I went to high school I have like 80 of them that I know. Does that make all of them my friends? No, I know them, but my friends are defined. Yeah. How do you define your friends? Friends will always be there in good and in bad times. Okay? They will just drop in to say, "Hi, how are you?" The friends will also be there to tell you when you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. I look at my marriage and 90% of the time it was oh no you know this is what God wants. Pray. Why would I be praying when somebody wants to kill me? If I'm dead I'll not be able to pray. So I want the, those few friends who came out and told me, you know what? Come get your act together. Find out where this is going. And if it is not making sense, you're not going to be looking at you crying. You have to just go. And you want that friend who will tell you, "It is okay to differ with me. This is my advice. Choose what to do." Okay? And 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 I also define my friends as um we are rolling in the same same path. You can't be my friend when you're the one who tells me what people say about me. Why are they comfortable telling you something about me? Why are they comfortable saying that around you? There's a problem. Okay, so it's not like don't come and don't tell me what what people are saying about me. 
But why would that be the only story you always have to tell me? Let's talk development. Let's talk uh, there is this business idea that has come up. What do you think? Let's talk positivity. I also don't want negative people around me. Oh, so you know, I went through this. Oh, and it is so bad. You know, all men are so bad. No, it is not true. That one particular man was bad. And that's it. That's where it stops. Yeah. And of course, spirituality is key. I don't care about the religion, but you have, be, you have to be somebody who identifies with God. That's a bottom line. If my description of Okere didn't quench your curiosity or you simply want to put a face to this amazing lady, please head over to my Instagram page, The Human Interest Podcast, to find her petite self with her signature gub-toothed smile there. Also, for those in Gong, an outskirt town in Kenya's capital, Nairobi, Okere will be giving a talk on breastfeeding at Zamzam Medical Clinic, seeing that August is breastfeeding month, so if you can, join in. She will be talking about supporting breastfeeding in Kenya, challenges of breastfeeding, exclusive breastfeeding, and the working mom. Probably by the time most of you are listening to this, she'll have already given her talk, but I'll share the link on my socials for those interested. I'll also be talking about my own experiences with breastfeeding and a lesson or two I carried out of that experience in my next podcast. That's next week. Remember to head on to the Human Interest Podcast from wherever you enjoy listening from, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and subscribe, like, comment, and share. I appreciate all the love. Until next week, this is the Human Interest Podcast with Evelyn Omboy.